This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Good morning. Back for a second week. And this week we're going to be talking about ballot proposals, state ballot proposals, statewide ballot proposals that everybody in the state is going to have a chance to vote on this coming November 6th in the general election. I'll just mention at the very start, there was a very turbulent week in the Michigan legislature this week. I think maybe the most significant week so far uh, this year and perhaps in the entire session dating back uh, 18 months to the start of last year. Uh, Three big things happened this week for sure. Uh, number one, um, the legislature looks like it's going to pass Medicaid work requirements, a revamp Medicaid work requirement bill um, on the backs of Republican votes, um, softened the legislation from its original content to impact only able-bodied, healthy Michigan recipients. Uh, that's Uh, Medicaid recipients under Obamacare who are between 19 and 62 years of age under the measure, healthy Michigan recipients must work 80 hours a month as opposed to 29 hours a week after January 1st, 2020. Uh, That precipitated uh, quite a turbulent session on the floor of the House of Representatives. Um, And um, Democratic staffer got fired by the Republican Speaker of the House for uh, what the speaker considered unseemly conduct, although that is questionable at this point. Um, Two other things happened. The legislature did vote uh, to enact the language in an initiative petition. We're going to get to that in a minute, uh, which would uh, repeal Michigan's prevailing wage law that has been in effect since 1965. And then finally, uh, the legislature decided not to enact the language in the petition um, that had been initiated um, to legalize recreational marijuana in Michigan. That's going to go on the ballot on November 6th, and it's going to be 2018-1. That's what it's going to be called on the ballot. Everybody's going to have a chance to vote on it, whether we uh, legalize, uh, consumption of marijuana, uh, and it can be in various different ways, shapes, and forms, uh, smoking, eating, or applying cannabis infused products, uh, provided you're 21 years of age. Uh, there's also, uh, going to be a lot of ifs, ands, and buts in terms of who gets to grow this, who's licensed, um, There's a tax element to it, and we can talk about that. But look, let's uh, get to this larger issue of ballot proposals. And again, we had two come before the legislature this week. One was put over to the November general election ballot. That was the one on recreational marijuana. But the other one was enacted by the legislature, which the legislature has the power to do by a majority vote in the House and Senate. Um, and the Republicans control the House and Senate. So all they need to do is get 55 votes in the House and 19 votes in the Senate 
ordinarily it would be 56 and 20, but there are vacancies in both the House and Senate, which bring the total number of members in each chamber down to 109 and 37, respectively. That makes a majority, which is the requirement to get a bill passed um, down one vote below what is ordinarily a 56 vote uh, majority in the House and a 20 vote majority in the Senate, down to uh, 55 in the House and 19 in the Senate. So um, in the legislature this week, the legislature had 40 days to uh, decide whether it wanted to uh, try to enact the language in medical marijuana decided not to, um, the votes weren't there, majority vote in each chamber. So it's put over to the voters to decide on November 6th. But the other proposal, the one to repeal the prevailing wage, which is a statute that's been on the book since 1965 that requires, uh, public, uh, facilities, uh, public entities, uh, in construction projects to pay what is the prevailing usually, usually uh, union orchestrated collective bargaining prevailing wage in that particular area rather than simply, let's say, the low bidder who might not be paying the prevailing wage to workers on the project. Uh, so that's being repealed. Um by the legislature, the vote in the Senate, I'll just tell you, was 23 to 14. And in the House, it was a razor-thin 56 to 53. Uh, all Democrats in both the House and Senate opposed uh, repealing the prevailing wage. Uh, and in the case of the Republicans, most Republicans supported repealing the prevailing wage, but four of them in the Senate flaked off and joined the Democrats in voting against it. That's why the vote was 27 to 13, excuse me, 27 to 14, rather than um, 27 to 10, which it would have been if it was a straight party line vote because the Republicans have 27 members in the Senate. Democrats have only 10 with one vacancy. In the House, seven Republicans flaked off from the 63-seat Republican majority so that there were 56 votes for repealing prevailing wage. And on the Democratic side, all Democrats, there are 46 Democrats with one vacancy in a Democratic seat. Um, all Democrats voted against repealing the prevailing wage. And if you add the seven Republicans who flaked off from the Republican majority and add that to the 46, you get... 53. So the vote was 56, 53. Remember it took 55 votes to pass it. So it was razor thin, only one vote to spare. Um, and the question is what about, um, ballot proposals in general? What, what are ballot proposals? There are three different kinds of ballot proposals in Michigan, according to the constitution. One is a constitutional amendment. Secondly, there is what is called an initiative. And thirdly, there's a referendum. Now, what is the difference between those three? Um, the difference is a constitutional amendment is exactly what it says. It amends the Michigan Constitution. And the bar for uh, doing that is pretty high. 
Uh, if you're going to try and amend the Constitution in Michigan, there's only two ways you can do that. Either you have to get a two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate to put it on the ballot, whatever the proposal is, or citizens can launch a petition drive. And in the case of a constitutional amendment, um, it's got to be 10% of all the votes cast for governor in the last election, meaning the 2014 election. So in the 2014 election, you add up all the votes for the Republican nominee, Rick Snyder, the Democratic nominee, Mark Schauer, and splinter party candidates, and it was 3,152,589. of that is 315,259. So a little over 300,000 signatures minimum you would have to get for that to go on the ballot. And let's be frank about it. Um, you can't just walk into the secretary of state's office with a bare minimum, 315,000 signatures. You got to have some padding, some extra signatures because some of those signatures are going to be thrown out. Uh, we're going to get back to more on this in a few minutes uh, because we got to talk about the initiative and we got to talk about the referendum and what those are. But we're going to have a guest and he's uh, somebody who knows a lot about ballot proposals and uh, he's going to give us some insights into uh, what he thinks the ramifications of various different proposals being on the ballot this coming November 6th for the general election. I'll be back to you in a second. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MDN. Here's Bill. Back again. Uh, we've got a guest on the line, a very important guest who really knows um, something about the subject we're talking about, and that is Mark Grebner, who has many titles, wears many hats over a long period of time. Mark Grebner, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, you, first of all, uh, just how long have you been an elected member of the Ingham County Board of Commissioners? A Democrat from East Lansing, uh, so that our listeners know, but uh, you have a long and honored history over time. Um, I, I was first elected to the Board of Commissioners when I was 23, and I was a long-haired, radical, hippie-type politician. And and with a couple four-year gaps, I'm, I'm still on the board. That was in 1976. I'm still on the board uh, 42 years later, still representing the MSU campus, but but I'm afraid I'm not really very long-haired anymore. Most of it, almost all, of it's fallen out. <laughs> um, well, and and I've I've threatened to die in office, so I figure I got another 20 years. <laughs> and and the lawn sign I'm using these days just says Grebner. We can't get rid of him. <laughs> That's a winning campaign slogan. So in other words, uh, 42 years later, since you were first elected in 1976, so totally you've been on the board uh, 34 years. That's right. That's right. Well, you're almost the longest serving county commissioner in Michigan, aren't you? I think it's pretty close. I think there are a few people from very rural counties where nobody really wants to be on the county board 
who just are allowed to stay there, you know, as long as they are, they live near the courthouse. So it's kind of convenient for them to go in and sign the bills and stuff. But, but other, but in counties that have actual competitive elections, I think, yeah, I'm probably just about the longest tenured. And and in 20 years, I'll certainly be there. (laughs) I would think so. Well, Mark, you also, uh, for many years have been a principal in a firm in based in East Lansing initially. Now I think it's in Lansing called practical political consulting. You've really been, uh, Michigan's leading political list broker. Is that correct? I, I I'd like to think so. You, you've said that in the past. <laughs> I think I quote you all the time. <laughs> Okay. Well, look, you also know quite a bit about elections, um, and voter turnout, that sort of thing. Um, before we get to that, let me just ask one question. You've got a colleague on the Ingham County board of commissioners, Ryan Siebold, I believe is his name. He's a Democrat who also, uh, is a staffer for the Democrats in the state house of representatives. And this week things got so tense, um, and a little bit out of control on Wednesday that the uh, Republican Speaker of the House, Tom Leonard, literally fired Ryan Seabolt for what Leonard considered to be unseemly conduct on the House floor, claiming that Seabolt uh, had uh, bull rushed the rostrum and it impeded uh, a clerk from carrying a bill uh, to where it was supposed to go. And the Democrats... Uh, claim that the speaker uh, exaggerated uh, what Seabolt did. And the Democrats, of course, were very angry about failure of the Republicans to honor the Democrats' request for an immediate effect vote. Uh, instead, the Republicans just gaveled it through. Um, what is your reading uh, about what happened this week? Not only that, but the Republicans obviously uh, passed a bill requiring work uh, for some Medicaid recipients, and uh, they repealed Michigan's uh, prevailing wage law. I mean, these are pretty controversial steps by the Republicans, and the Democrats uh, manifested a lot of anger about it. Uh, do you think anything is going to come out of this in terms of uh, its repercussions, uh, in the election, maybe, uh, far from now is let's say November in the general election. Well, in the first place, I would say that the Republicans are acting like a, a political party that is, has complete power now and is kind of expecting that pretty soon they won't. And so it's time to pay off or finish off or complete a whole bunch of projects that they wanted to do. And if that requires an occasional bulldozer, well, then you just run a bulldozer through. Um, a lot of this is kind of inside politics. Uh, you referred to um, Siebold as a as a staff member of the legislature. Of course, he's a former staff member at this point. I believe he's unemployed um, <laughs> as of uh, sometime late uh, yesterday afternoon. Um, obviously, he's... Uh, 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 ticked off now, especially, but you know this sort of thing happens in politics. People, you know, there is somewhere there's an actual dispute, you know, and and right at the core of the dispute is where things get hottest and people get angriest. Um, you know, the Republicans kind of run over the Democrats for a long time. Uh, uh, we Democrats uh, kind of deserve it. We 
have no power at all at any point in in Michigan at all, right? The courts are Republican. The governor is safely Republican. The both house legislature are overwhelmingly Republican, and we really haven't put up much of a contest successfully, even though we have a plurality of voters. I mean, there are more Democrats than Republicans in the state, and in many elections, more people have voted Democratic than Republican, but we still manage to take the minority of the seats. Um, so the Republicans kind of see that they might very well lose the House, and they'll probably lose the governorship. So it's really time to to finish off those projects. You know, it's the it's, it's time to do all the things that you really have to get done. Well, so, we've, we've um, uh, mentioned before that you've been around a while. Um, in the past, when the Democrats had uh, control, if not complete, uh, maybe mainly control, like in the State House of Representatives with maybe Jennifer Granholm as governor or back in the eighties, Jim Blanchard, democratic governor, uh, Democrats controlled the house. Do you think that the Democrats ran things pretty much the way uh, the Republicans are running them now? Uh, well, of course I'm partisan. So maybe I see things in a jaundiced way, but I don't think we were quite so uh, ruthless. I don't think, for example, that we ever faked uh, immediate effect. Immediate effect requires of course, a two-thirds vote. The Republicans don't have a two-thirds vote, so they've decided they're going to just announce they have a two-thirds vote and declare it from the Speaker's rostrum, right? I mean, it it seems obviously unconstitutional and illegal because the voters of the state adopted the Constitution that says you need a two-thirds vote for a bill to be given immediate effect instead of waiting whatever it is, 90 days after the end of the session. But I think you know the exact details of what the Constitution requires because you're just about as old as the Constitution. You're older. Um, <laughs> well, look, uh, and, let, and let me mention in politics since the adoption of the 1964 Constitution. But but the the point is, I don't think the Democrats just gaveled things through and faked it. Um, and I don't think we've fired staff members of the other side because they rushed around and looked upset. I mean, I think the the Democrats occasionally have fired people who've actually slugged somebody. I'm thinking of a particular case exactly 40 years ago where a Republican staffer was fired by a Democratic speaker uh, in exactly the inverse of this uh, incident. But in that case, the, the staffer actually punched somebody. Um, here, I don't think anybody's accused Ryan of punching anybody. He just rushed around and looked upset and, and kept waving his arms, I think. But anyway. Okay, uh, we haven't even gotten to what we really want to talk about that's ballot proposals uh we got to take another break but we'll be back with mark grebner in just a few moments this is mtn and you're listening to the political insider with bill ballinger here's bill yeah mark uh yeah, I heard what you said about uh, immediate effect. I will say there there were a couple of instances in the past where Democrats uh, gaveled things through over Republican objections when the Democrats had the majority back in the day. But here's the key thing. This has been challenged in court several times when the minority party in the legislature uh, feels that it has been abused and they've taken it to court. And every time it gets before the judges, they punt on it. Uh, they say, you know, this is a matter of legislative prerogative. We're not going to make a decision on this. And they just kick it back to the legislature and the legislature, whichever the majority party is, they say, 
Well, it's really at the discretion of the chair, uh, whoever's presiding over the house, let's say, whether he or she recognizes that there is a request for immediate effect. Well, it's pretty obvious there were 41 Democrats in the House this week who demanded a vote on immediate effect, and it was pretty obvious if the Republicans actually put it to a recorded vote, it would not get a two-thirds majority to get immediate effect. So basically, the, you're absolutely right. The Republicans just ran roughshod over, right? Well, well, and it'd be one thing if this were just because of a rule of the House, but it's not. It's in the state constitution, and it says the public, the voters, are protected from having a bill take immediate effect unless there's a two-thirds vote. Right. That that isn't something. If that's in the Constitution, the legislature is subject to the Constitution, and it can't really be overridden by the legislature itself because it's a restriction on legislative power. Well, I, I agree what with that. What that really says is how incredibly poor the courts are. Well, yeah, exactly. Are, are yeah, the courts. Pathetic. The courts have been pathetic on it. They they should have enforced what's in the Constitution. They just don't do it. Uh, well, and, and, but there's nobody else to do it. The idea that the courts can look at it and say, well, we can leave this to the legislature because they'll self-police. No, this is a restriction on the legislature. Obviously, the courts do have a role. It's not a, it's not a non-judiciable uh, question. I, I, I also mentioned I'm an attorney. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's another title you, you uh, wear. Attorney. And, and con- constitutional law was one of the few classes in which I got an A, so I, <laughs> I feel like I should talk about that. I definitely won't talk about estates or trusts. No, I, I look, I agree with everything you're saying, but look, let, let's get to the biggest issue uh, of this particular hour program, and that is ballot proposals. This week, there were two before the legislature ballot proposals, both initiated petitions. Uh, one was on recreational marijuana and the legislature decided to let that go on the ballot. And the other one was on repealing the prevailing wage, which the legislature with the Republican majority enacted by a very narrow margin in both the House and Senate. And the feeling all along has been by the Republicans, and I want to ask you about this, that this, uh, these proposals, not, not the one on prevailing wage, because that's now law, that's been taken off the table, but recreational marijuana and the other issues that may get on the ballot, we can't be absolutely sure at this time, but there could be one on the ballot in November for earned sick time. Uh, There could be another one on uh, what is called voters, not politicians, redistricting commission, independent commission, take that out of the hands of the legislature to draw lines for congressional and house and Senate districts. There could be a minimum wage proposal on the ballot and there could be, and this is a constitutional amendment. The petitions for this don't have to be handed in until July called promote the vote. And that is a proposed constitutional amendment to regulate the timing of issuing absentee ballots uh, authorize no reason absentee voting, require straight party voting, uh, provide for automatic voter registration, require post-election audits and other voting changes. And the Republicans seem to be deathly afraid that if these proposals get on the ballot, that uh, that is going to jack up Democratic turnout and uh, produce a lot of extra votes in November in the general election 
that Democrats would uh, otherwise not be likely to get. Do you buy the Republicans' paranoia about this? Well, those the proposals that will probably all end up on the ballot are different. I mean, they're a pretty motley lot. They're, they're not all the same. Some of them, I don't think, will have a lot of effect on turnout. But a couple of them are likely to, to encourage specific groups to turn out in larger numbers. And those groups will, will in each case, be Democratic-leaning. So I think it'll have a marginal impact if, if all those questions are on the ballot. You know, we're going to see an increased uh, turnout overall and a, a slightly increased Democratic margin. It, it won't be the end of the world for the Republicans. The end of the world may come about anyway because of, of the current incumbent of the White House. Um, but, but it's the sort of thing that makes the world a little bit harder for them. Well, let me ask you this. And I do think that's true. Yeah. Okay. Let me, well, let me ask this. Um, you say some of these proposals, if they get on the ballot, aren't maybe going to encourage that many more people to turn out, but isn't the fact that they're all slightly different, but also the fact that they would tend to draw people who would be more liberal, left of center, democratic, that actually should make the Republicans even more worried. I mean, if, if it, if there were five proposals on the ballot and they were all left of center, but they were all basically the same, you know, subject matter and likely to draw out the same people, it wouldn't be as bad as getting a whole bunch of disparate people on different issues to turn out, right? Isn't that going to compound the turnout issue as far as the Republicans are concerned? To some extent, but for example, promote the vote, which is about encouraging voter turnout and making it easier to vote is not going to increase the turnout any because the people who care about voting rights are already people who are interested in elections. Okay? I mean, you're just not motivating anybody. On the other hand, let's take the clear one, the dope amendment. In the first place, your average doper is not a very good voter. We're talking recreational marijuana. Yeah, we are. We're talking dope. <laughs> and... and <laughs> And, you know, I've, I know these people. I don't know all of them, but, but I've been working with the petitions they've been circulating. And let me tell you, what were we talking about just now? God, I forget. Uh, where did, did you ever see my roach? I, and they wander out of the office without having picked up the petitions they were sent to pick up. Um, anyway, if, if we were looking to, to justify some stereotypes, I could I could... If we only had video of them, well, they'd have been paranoid because there'd been video. Um, but anyway, those people are not very good voters normally, but they are really motivated by this marijuana petition. Um, I've actually keyed a sample of the, of the marijuana petitions that they turned in, which was, I don't know, about 350,000 or 400,000 signatures. And the sample showed that the people who circulated and signed the petitions are overwhelmingly Democratic-leaning. I mean, they don't have very good voter records, but they're they're very Democratic-leaning people who sign the petitions. And I can easily imagine that if the marijuana issue is on the ballot in the fall, that a bunch of people who would not otherwise manage to find their way to the polls before it closed on that Tuesday in November will will actually get up and, unless they stop and buy a pizza somewhere and eat the whole thing in their car, uh, will, will manage to vote. And if they do, they're not going to be casting many votes for Bill Shuey for governor. Do you think the recreational marijuana proposal is going to get by far the most extra number of people to turn out 
of all these ballot proposals that I just ticked off? Um, that, that would be my guess. The minimum wage thing is the other one that has the potential to do it. Because, again, there's a smallish group of people who are directly affected by it. I've, I've kind of estimated that the marijuana proposal might turn out 50,000 extra voters. That should be put in the context of about 3 million voters in a, in a gubernatorial election. And, and maybe the Democrats will pick up a net 25,000 additional vote margin over the Republicans or very roughly one percentage point more vote than the Republicans uh, statewide, which is nothing to sneeze at. Right. Okay, I mean, it would look. have saved Jim Blanchard in 1990, for example, would have elected Gary or uh, Gary Peters uh, uh, AG over, over Mike Cox. Okay, we're going to have to break off again, but we're going to come back in just a minute or two and conclude this discussion about ballot proposals and turnout in November. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. Okay, Mark Grebner, back in 2014, which was the last non-presidential election we had in Michigan, the last gubernatorial election, uh, there was something like 3 million between 150 and 200,000 votes cast in that election. How many do you think are going to be cast total this coming November here in Michigan? I guess 3.3 million or 3.4 million. And how many of those are attributable to the ballot proposals, particularly recreational marijuana, is it the fifty thousand you just mentioned in the last segment? Yeah, I'd say I'd say fifty thousand is a pretty reasonable guess. I mean, there's no there's no science to it. it every proposal is different, and but fifty thousand is, is a is a defensible guess. Okay, and, and if there's uh, split those fifty thousand voters, uh, what three to one Democratic? Do you think? Because of recreational that's right. marijuana? That's, that's what I guess, yeah. So that would provide, let's say, maybe what? An overall, you know, 20,000, 30,000 vote cushion for the Democrats out of 50,000 extra votes? That's right. That, but, but, of course, those 25,000 extra Democratic votes will be, will be uh, concentrated all the places they don't really need them. I and mean, they'll be heavily concentrated on college campuses and so forth. But... Still, it's better to have them than not to have them. And certainly it'll help the Democrats a little bit statewide. It just won't be the places they need them for, say, critical congressional seats or state Senate seats or whatever. Yeah, well, of course, we've had some very close statewide elections. Um, you know, John Engler beat Jim Blanchard by only about 17,000 votes back in 1990. Uh, Donald Trump uh, won election statewide uh, over Hillary Clinton 2016 by 10,700 votes. So if you're talking 25,000 extra votes for the Democrats from the ballot proposals, that could be significant in a close race, right? Sure, sure. And, but, of course, there are a lot of races that aren't close where it won't be much effect. But, but that's right. It's the sort of thing the Democrats will appreciate. I, I think, though, that, that the fact that that the Republicans hold complete power at both the national and the state level is a bigger effect. And I think the, the incumbent president is also a, a big effect on, will have a big effect on Democratic turnout. 
So I think this is shaping up to be a pretty good Democratic year anyway. But this is like a little extra that'll help. Didn't something happen back in Ingham County in terms of uh, a really dramatic example of enhanced turnout because of a ballot proposal or a vote on some controversial issue? 1978, wasn't there something that happened then involving the Board of Commissioners? Yes, there was a statewide proposal. Well, the legislature raised the drinking age to 21, and that was referred to the ballot by by a petition. And so there was a statewide vote on whether the drinking age should raise to 21 or should remain 18, which is what had been said at, at the time of the 18-year-old vote. So, so the vote statewide was to, to keep the drinking age at 21. That, that required a no vote and, or to allow it to become uh, 18. I'm saying other way around. I mean, you get the idea. Yeah. So that basically a whole lot of college kids would no longer be legal drinkers. Now, normally we would have had, let's say, 30,000 votes in a, in a gubernatorial election, but that year we had about 18,000. We had 5,000 extra votes. And in a college town, you'd normally think that, that the extra voters would be Democrats, but, but they weren't largely, because it turned out, and this is what's crucial about the marijuana petition, it's not who will support it, but who will support it who would not otherwise vote. Well, who would vote for a drinking age of a 21 or an 18 year old drinking age, so they can continue drinking legally. Who would not <laughs> otherwise vote? Well, the answer was basically the guys in the frats. So we turned out 5,000 extra voters in Mich- in in East Lansing. I'm sure there were also large numbers of kids all over the all over the state. But the ones who we turned out, the extra voters that were brought to the polls by that particular proposal, were overwhelmingly uh, self interested drunks who were, you know, 19-year-old <laughs> drinkers. The result of that was on the Board of Commissioners that one of our incumbents was knocked off in East Lansing, quite surprised, and she was also surprised by the by the really heavy vote in her district, which was unexpected, and the fact that it came largely out of the, out of the districts that had uh, a heavy fraternity presence. Well, she was a Democrat, uh, right? The incumbent. She, it, 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 exactly. Uh, yeah. And I tried to convince her before the election that they were not her friends, that those were not her people. But they looked like her people because they were 19 <laughs> years old. <laughs> and, and, but they, the, actually it was the Republican candidate that they turned out to support because he was a frat boy, right? Well, I think that they, I think they didn't even know him. He was just swept in, uh, kind of like, um, uh, the debris that's on the waves, you know, of a tsunami. I mean, the tsunami brings in uh, garbage from the ocean and dumps it up in the hills, and and he was sort of left behind when the tsunami went out, and he he disappeared from pretty quickly. Anyway, he he was actually arrested on election day. Uh, so anyway, he didn't last long as a county commissioner, but a little bit less than a year moved out of town, but. but he was not an example of what the tsunami brings in. And this, this one isn't going to be a tsunami because I don't think the recreational marijuana thing will cut that deeply as, it, as the drinking age one did. But, but it's likely to bring out a bunch of stoners. And the stoners, I mean, again, demographically, we just know that stoners tend to be Democrats. Um, we'll see. But, but it's not, I don't think the Republicans are making a bad calculation when they figure that, that it would have been better for them 
not to have this on the ballot in the fall. Well, actually, what happened in 1978 kind of proves your point that turnout um, is not just, you know, it's, it's um, concentrated in areas of a local nature. I mean, for instance, the, the uh, East Lansing vote because of the college turnout, um, it was disproportionately large there because of this ballot issue, as opposed to in much of the rest of the state where maybe the turnout was hardly noticeable. Right. That's that's exactly right. I mean, you, it, all of these things tend to, uh, there are focuses of uh, w- where there's a big impact. I imagine that Lansing will also be affected by this marijuana thing because there are so many marijuana stores and so many employees of marijuana stores. I'm talking about medical marijuana, where medical belongs in quotes. Um, and so I think there's a really substantial medical marijuana industry in Lansing, along with huge numbers of hangers on. So I'm, I'm sure that those people are, are going to be a, an organized political entity, while in some other city, you know, there'll be a handful of people affected, but, but you won't see a movement. There'll just be individuals who are affected. Don't you think also that uh, even though you think these other proposals like sick leave or promote the vote aren't likely to inspire that many more people to turn out who wouldn't vote otherwise, since they're all basically appealing to left of center types, that that is really kind of going to reinforce the likelihood that there's going to be this extra 50,000 votes cast and that it's probably going to be preponderantly democratic. Uh, yes. Um, and I think that there will probably be campaigns for, for a bunch of them. I think that, that the, um, uh, Promote the vote, again, won't probably bring many people out because it's too much good government issue. But the sick leave and minimum wage proposals are likely to have uh, uh, interest groups who are working among restaurant workers, for example, for it. And restaurant workers are another group, a good example of a group that has a relatively low turnout normally. And increasing them, the percentage of, of all restaurant employees who turn out by just a few percentage points would would add five or ten thousand votes to the to the total, mostly Democrats. So yes, I think I think that all these things together, uh, you know, these are these are additional uh, pluses for the Democratic Party. Uh, again, probably not distributed uh, in a very efficient way as far as their ultimate benefit, but but all these things are helpful. Well, let me just uh, mention wrapping up here. We haven't even had a chance to get to the difference that I described at the beginning of the program between constitutional amendments and the initiative and the referendum. Um, Out of the six proposals, and there's six, that's how many seem to have emerged from the pack of proposals that had petitions circulated on their behalf over the last year and a half. Six of them. One has already been enacted by the legislature. That's repealing prevailing wage. Uh, but the other five are all on the table. Um, and there could be as many as five on the ballot in November, or there could be as few as only one, and that's recreational marijuana. We're going to talk about this more next week because it's a fascinating subject, but I want to thank Mark Grebner, attorney, Ingham County Commissioner, Michigan's leading list broker, and a principal in practical political consulting. Thank you, Mark Rebner. Thank you for having me on.